Hey, good morning, everybody. This is so exciting. I'm so happy. It's really nice seeing people masked up as well, and, and people just, it's people in chairs, and I'm so thankful. Once again, I want to reiterate what Cast shared. A very big thank you to all the guys in the AV and the streaming things, and all you guys, the likes of Joyce and Mike Guth and Jono and Ken Yuana and and just all you guys, so thank you so much for that, the fact that we can be here, and I can also be sharing with you guys in church as well. So that's a great blessing. Thank you guys very much. Also, a very big thank you to the likes of the Chris and Joe, Joe, Joe Finn and, and the ministry team and all the leaders that sorted out the COVID safe plan and got all that organized. So a big thank you for that as well. This is, that is just really exciting. So if you're, for those here, let's give them a round of applause as we say thank you very much for all that effort so we can actually be here in person. So with that in mind, I pray you guys had a very good week. Everybody at home, hello. But also in the sense that I, I prayerfully, you're learning something from First Thessalonians. I mean, it really is a letter of encouragement, a letter to encourage this young church. And as I have been reading this letter, what I've discovered is that this letter is slightly different to the format that Paul uses in other letters as well, which is usually the first half is, is mainly theological, and then the second half, which points mainly to the, the, the practical aspect of living the Christian life. But as you read through 1 Thessalonians, what has stuck out more and more to me is the genuine concern Paul has for this church. He is really desiring to find out how they are, what's going on in their lives, where they're at spiritually, how they can move on from that. And, and so as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we looked at, well, Paul sought to encourage them in their identity, as in who they are, as well as moving on to their action as opposed to how they are to live, what they are to do, and then finally looking at where their vision was, their, their future hope, where their hope lie, lay, which was reinforced last week as Paul pointed them to God as being the source of ministry, of experiencing the love and nurture that God gives as caring for his church as a loving parent. And then finally looking at as people belonging to God's kingdom, being encouraged and being comforted and being urged, we are to walk worthy of God and the kingdom that we've been called into. So in writing this letter, Paul continues on with that theme as he seeks to encourage them not only to live godly, but encourage them to live a life of perseverance. Last week we finished at 2.16, but verse 17 through to 3.5 3, basically is Paul's desire for this church. Paul longing to see this church. Paul longing to be with this church. And what I want to do is look at this, this heart Look at this, this, this principle that Paul communicates and prayerfully draw out some practical things for us as well. So if, if you bow your heads, we'll open a word of prayer. Have your Bibles open as we work through this. We're not having a Bible reading. We're going to work our way through chapter 3 together. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your sovereignty, for your power, for your spirit, whom indwells us even now. And as we look into your word, we ask that by your spirit you might open our eyes to see the wonderful truths held within your law, that you might challenge our own hearts as about where we are at with you. And, and Father, that we might draw from this letter Paul wrote just some wonderful applications for our own life, truths that might bring about change in our hearts too. 
So we commit ourselves to you now. Please reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things I want you guys to actually bear as we go through this chapter today is how do the scriptures speak to each of you personally? How is God working in your heart and calling you to a life of perseverance in godliness and in holiness? See, this letter of encouragement is an encouragement that goes beyond sharing and leaving, even though that's what Paul had to do. After spending three weeks with these believers of proclaiming the gospel, he was driven out of the city of Thessalonica. But what Paul communicates here is something that goes beyond just sharing and leaving. It's an encouragement that goes beyond just writing a letter to find out or to check up on their welfare, which is what 1 Thessalonians is. It is an encouragement that extends into a practical and a substantive investment into their lives to benefit them in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do as we look at this, see how then in turn we can draw those same principles and application to us. Not only how we are ministered to, but how we in turn can minister to others practically and substantively. And with substance, can't say the word. Okay, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter one, uh, 3, verses 1 to 4, read with me. We read, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Pardon me. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted and it turned out that way, as you well know. So Paul's pointing to this fact that, that he has gone through some things. And it points to a lesson that you and I must take on board in our Christian lives if we are going to have any type of impact in discipleship, any type of impact for the kingdom, any type of impact in the proclaiming, and, in the proclaiming of the gospel to others. And this is this. This is what it is. Firstly, it's explained or expressed in a loving concern. Expressed. A loving concern expressed. It's about Paul being a doer of the word, not a hearer only, as it talks about in James 1.22. It's about to fight the good fight of faith, not to talk a good fight of faith, which means actually doing the word. If you look in Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 to 31, the Lord Jesus speaks and says how there were two sons. And the father goes to one son and says, go out and do some work in the vineyard. One son says, yeah, I'll do it, but he doesn't go. The other son says, nah, I don't want to do it. But then he does go. And then Jesus asks, who's the one that did the will of the father? The one that actually went out and did it. The one that actually went out. We can talk a good fight. We can talk as much as we like. Paul wrote about what his desire was for these people, which was then expressed in him doing something about it by sending Timothy to this church. So we can talk a good fight, but it's actually the reality of such truth in our lives is whether such truths are lived out by what we do. 
For example, we know that we are to live lives of holiness. Our existence cannot be made complete by living a life of half-hearted sanctification. It can't. We know we are to live this way, but we'd much rather hold back in certain areas for our own personal gain. We know that we are to live lives of obedience, to actually be doers of the word. But we are more than willing to compromise obedience for personal pleasure or for personal entertainment. We know that we are to set our affections on things above because heaven is our home, but for a lot of Christians today, we want the, the joys and the security of heaven, but still enjoy the pleasures and the selfishness and the carnal realities of living worldly. For you and I, being Christ's disciple, as expressed through Paul, means that you and I are to go beyond the bare minimum in relationships. We are to go beyond the bare minimum of just getting by. Now, Australia is, Australia is a very... I really like Australia. I know I'm from New Zealand, and I often give people a hard time about how New Zealand is so much better than Australia. I love Australia. It's a great country. It is a great country. And the, one of the things, though, about, about... And I've shared this with you before. One of the things about Australian culture is it's very... Uh, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. Hey, bro, we've got an emergency going on. She'll be right. It's very, and I remember Trevor McElwain, one of my lecturers at college, said a lot of Christians today have this she'll be right mentality. A she'll be right mentality in our Christian life. Yeah, she'll be right. And we like to do the bare minimum. Yeah, well, yeah I'll go to prayer meeting this month. I'll go to a church on Sunday. Oh, I'll attend a Bible study. We do the bare minimum to get by in our Christian life and then wonder why we don't receive the fullness or the abundance of God's blessing in our lives. Probably because we're just doing what we can to get by. We're doing the bare minimum, not only in our relationship with Jesus, but in our relationships with each other. For example, we are called to go beyond the bare minimum in relationships. It means going the extra mile to be a witness. It means giving more of yourself, of your time, of your resources for the sake of the gospel. It means loving the Lord with all your heart, with your affections, with all your soul, with your, very, with your very being, with all your mind, with what you think, and with all your strength, with your actual activity, and loving others as yourself, as it talks about in Mark 12, 29 and 30. A truth clearly taught by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. It'll be up here now in Matthew chapter 5, verses 39b to 45a. We read this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Acts that are completely beyond human ability, your resources and my resources. Acts that are done, not so that we receive the acclaim of man. Say, oh, Joe, he's so generous. Oh, Joe, he's so patient. Oh, Joe, he's so loving. No, it's got nothing to do with that. It's so, as verse 45 stresses, we may be children of our Father in heaven. 
But that's beyond me. Because I tell you what, in my fleshly, carnal nature, if someone hits me, you know what I want to do? I want to hit them back. If someone hurts me, you know what I want to do? I want to hurt them back. If someone, if someone has a grudge against me, you know what I want to do? I'll grudge even harder. I'm a hard grudger, whatever that means. Okay, that's, that's, that's our fleshly nature, but we have been renewed in Christ to have his nature because the Lord Jesus came as a, as a lamb to the slaughter who opened not his mouth and gave his life so that we might have life. So we are told, as in Matthew 63, when we, when we fall in line with, with him and his heart as he works within us, we are told in Matthew 6.33 that we seek his kingdom that all other things will be added. And so in this example of Paul, we can draw a beautiful lesson that is just as applicable now. And that is doing something, not for the sake of doing it, but because of your love for God, because of your love for his word, because of your your love for his people, because of the life-transforming message that makes people new. And it says this in verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. And so he's concerned that resulted in him doing something. In doing something. I will send Timothy so I can find out. I, I am so invested in you. I so love you. I so desire to see you grow in your relationship with, with Jesus Christ. I don't just want to write a letter. I don't just want to spend some time and leave. I want to send somebody to you so I can find out how you're going in your relationship with God. He, we, have, we have this phrase, doing life. He wants to do life with these people to find out where they're at so that they might stand in the promises of God. That's the lesson we draw from that. A loving concern is expressed. Love cannot remain stagnant. Love cannot remain inactive. Amy Carmichael said, you can, you can love, oh, sorry, you can give without loving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love must be expressed. It is how God expressed his love to you and I in Jesus. Read John 3.16. It is how Jesus manifests that love on the cross. Read Romans 5.8. And how the Spirit sheds that love abroad in our hearts. Read Romans 5.5. Which then is to be done through us as we express that same love and that beautiful message of the gospel to others. That in the fullness of time, Christ was born of a virgin, born under the law. Galatians 4.4 That the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 That Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1.15 All acts done. All acts that have resulted in you and I through faith in Jesus on what he has done on the cross, that we are now the recipients of eternal life. That we are the recipients of complete regeneration. That we are the recipients of ongoing renewal and we are the recipients of eternal security. That is what happens when a loving concern is expressed in practice not just in theory. We are to be Christians in practice, not just in theory. The legitimacy of our faith is revealed in our practice, not just in theory. 
And what I like is that even though this is what happens, we read further on Paul's, Paul's, Paul's warning. He says, in the midst of this blessing, in the midst of this blessing of finding out, of having this loving concern expressed, he says, in the midst of blessing, beware. In chapter 3, verses 6 to 10, we, we read about, some, about Paul's concern about these guys. Okay, can you imagine the joy? The joy at receiving news. Of, of how they're doing. Timothy gives this wonderful report, this wonderful report of, of where they're at. And Paul's expression of this loving concern, meaning his investment in their lives, his, his prayer, his, his teaching, his practical help, he, he, reaped, he reaped the rewards of having a good report come back to him. In chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, we read this. But Timothy who has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Uh, you have people like that, eh? You have people like that. We're like, oh, wow. You think about someone, oh, I long to see them. You have people like that in your life. If you don't, let's pray that you do. They're wonderful blessings. Okay, if you don't have friends, let's pray you get friends. Okay, anyway. Therefore, I was going to make a cast joke there, but I stopped. All right. Okay. Anyway, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For persecution, we are, oh, sorry, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? How, how great a testimony to have. I know, I know when you guys go away or if I go away and, and you just hear about people and that throughout all our lives we have heard of people who have fallen away. Heard of people who've struggled in their Christian life. Heard of people who've turned their backs on the Lord. I've heard many, many stories of that throughout the 20 something odd years of being a Christian. But you know what really encourages my heart? When I hear about people who I walked with who are still walking strong. When I see brothers and sisters who I ministered with when I was a very young Christian now serving the, the, the kingdom of God as a, as a pastor, as a missionary. It's amazing. I, I, okay, I, I didn't write this down, but there was a guy. I went to go get. I, I didn't go get a haircut, obviously. <laughs> but I took. I went. To, I went. I took Jarrell to go get, to go to the man cave in Rouse Hill. And I'm standing there, and Jarrell, yeah, we're sitting there, and he's about to go in. And this young gentleman comes up to me and says, uh, "You're Joe from Borkham Hills High, aren't you?" I says, "Yeah, yeah, bro." And he goes, "Yeah, I remember you." And we just we started talking. And he goes, "I, I graduated Borkham Hills High School in 2000, and, I think it was seven or 2008." I was having a bit of a chat with him. And I said, oh, bro, what are you doing now? And he goes, well, first I want to say thank you very much. I remember your stuff at the seminars, the Christian seminars. I was a Christian at the school, and I want to thank you very much for your input there. And I said, what are you doing now, bro? He goes, oh, I'm an Anglican minister at Castle Hill. And the encouragement it brought to my heart. Then he says, oh, my wife, my wife remembers you from William Clark College when you spoke there, and she was year 11. And she remembers your message there as well. And I was like, oh. And you know what that did for me? That encouraged my heart that there are people that are still pressing on for the gospel, that God is still working. Whether you're present or not, God is still working. God is still glorifying his name, and God is still sowing the seed of the gospel to bring about change in people's lives. That's awesome. And we get to play a part in that. Once again, this is to stress the sovereignty of God of caring for the work that he had begun in their lives. This is the truth of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, because it's, 
just as Zerubbabel was reminded about the building of the temple, we are reminded in the building of God's church that it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Thus it makes sense for Timothy to bring a good report for their welfare. For their focus was on the Lord Jesus and his imminent return. You look at chapter 1, verse 10. Their priority was the kingdom of God to which they now belonged in in chapter 2, verse 12. And their conduct was steadfast in the gospel as they stood firm in in verse 8 of chapter 3. And this this gives credence to the description that Paul gives them in chapter 1, verse 7 when he says that you're a model for all believers. That's not funny. That's, thank you for the, uh, the patronizing laugh. It's better than a patronizing clap. I appreciate that. Okay? But in the midst of such positivity, Paul makes the following observation in verse 10. He says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul points out here that even with Timothy's good report, something is lacking with these believers. Not in the sense of their salvation, because they're complete in Christ, nor in the sense of their destiny, because their salvation is secure. Their names are written in the book of life. Where they probably most faced their lack is in their sanctification, their present sanctification. For throughout the scriptures, there is a common theme of of growth. A common theme of growth. 1 Peter chapter 2 Verse 2, you know, desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow thereby. It's about pressing on as we look at Philippians chapter 3 and, and maturity in Ephesians 4.15. But that cannot be achieved if one chooses not to eat well spiritually or exercise well spiritually or prepare yourself spiritually, even rest yourself spiritually. In each of these areas, we, like these Thessalonians, may find we're lacking too. Now, I I may not know the full intent of of what the situation is and Paul writing what he did, but you know there is persecution going on. You know there is hardship going on. You know these guys are very young. But I want to make note of something here. For all the good that they were commended for, there was still this lack that was identified by Paul. And the lack, I, I wrote this and I shared this with Jono on Wednesday night at prayer meeting, zeal which is great, and sincerity, which is great, and emotion, which is great, are poor substitutes for knowledge, truth, and obedience. Zeal, sincerity, and emotion are poor substitutes for knowledge, truth, and obedience. If anything, zeal, sincerity, and emotion are the branches, branches, or even, I guess you could say, or even the, the fruit, that stems from the trunk of knowledge, of, 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 yeah, what is it, of, of knowledge, of truth and obedience. It comes from that. They're the fruit that comes from the vine or grows from the vine. So I, I wrote here, if anything, zeal, sincerity, emotion are the branches or even the fruit that grow from the trunk of love, sorry, of knowledge, of truth and obedience to God's word. Which means that you and I, if we're not grounded in the person of Christ, can also have areas of lack as well. And, and the means by which we suffer such lack, or the reason why such lack is exposed in our lives, is through trial. The way such lack is exposed is through difficulty. The way such lack is exposed is through hard times. 
In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, we read of the types of soil that God's seed, when God's word is thrown out, or God's word is sown. We have seeds that land on hard ground, seeds that land on rocky ground, seeds that land among thorns, and we have seeds that land in good soil. The legitimacy of each seed is, is brought forth when it grows, yes, but how far that has taken root is exposed in those hardships, among the rocky ground, or among where, where there's not much soil to take root, among the thorns where it can be choked. You do not know how, you do not know how seaworthy a vessel is until it goes through a storm. That is the way they find out. When they have a ship that is ready to go out, whether it's seaworthy, they wait for it to go through a storm. When it goes through a storm, they find out how legitimate that vessel really is. So too with us. This is why it's important for us to have our foundation secure in the person of Christ, that our hearts are good soil. With the establishing of this church, it was done so in the midst of persecution, and even though they would have had zeal and, and, and enthusiasm and, and passion, that may get you through the early stages. But over time, when it continues and you're buffeted over and over and over again, the excitement of that new faith, that excitement of what you now know, starts to dwindle as you start to, to realize that maybe it's not cracked up to what it's supposed to be or what you think it is. And as that dwindling takes place, the heart starts to yearn for what used to be, for what used to have in the old life. If you read about Demas, who had forsaken this, this he had forsaken Paul for the love of this present world instead of blazing paths for the kingdom of God as one lives by faith. So whilst amongst all this blessing, there is a warning as Paul continues to express his love, his loving concern. Paul then goes from this warning and encourages them in their perseverance by causing them to look at the bigger picture of God's working. In chapter 3, verses 11 to 13, we see this. See, one of the greatest blessings that are bestowed upon you and I as Christians is that of hope. Not of, not of wishful thinking hope, but of an assured confidence. Paul speaks to this as he knows and understands that God has been doing something already in this church and is confident that God will continue to do something whether he is there or not. And this is evident in these following three verses. He says in verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Take note of that word may. It is mentioned in the next three verses. The statement he makes here is accepting whatever God chooses to do in this matter. It is the outworking of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. This is the evidence here because it shows submission and humility to God's sovereign choice. If God clears a path, so be it. If God does not clear a path, so be it. For what God chooses to do will always do what he deems best. And as difficult as it may seem, that includes the hard times too. That if God is sovereign, as we look over the past year and how crazy this past year has been, if God is sovereign, he has allowed this to take place. If you had a look, I did an interview with Elliot, and that one question was, why has God allowed 
this global pandemic? And she gave a great answer. If you don't want to have, if you don't know what it is, uh, have a look at the, the, the video. But she gives, she gives a great answer. But the reality is God is in control. Do you believe it? God is in control. Do you accept it? God is in control. Do you acknowledge that? And does your life reflect that acknowledgement? Does it, does it acknowledge or does it accept or recognize that belief that you say you have? That God is in control. But that's why he says, may. Now may our God and Father. It carries on in verse 12. And he says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And verse 11 is more of a choice. He's, he's, he's directing their attention at their choice. In verse 12, he's making a petition. It's a prayer. He's making a petition for, to God on behalf of these people. He says, for, your, for their abundant growth, Lord, may you, make your, may you make their love abound. Make their abundant growth take place in their relationships that their love would increase, for love covers a multitude of sins, as it says in 1 Peter 4.8, uh, which means their support would increase. Because their love increased, their support would increase. Not only would their support increase, their involvement would increase. And from that support and from that involvement, there's this development of each other as iron sharpens iron. Proverbs 27.17, that that too would increase. For as, the body of, for, for as the body of Christ, as his people, we are to be involved with each other. With each other. And we are, as I said, to do life together. And the petition doesn't stop there. It continues in verse 13 as well. That may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And this is the bigger picture. This is something that, over time, gets lost in the framework of our own lives, that of the Lord's return. We can become so attached to this life, so attached to this world, we forget that the world passes away and the lusts thereof, 1 John 2.17. We forget that the Lord has gone to prepare a place for us, and if he's going to prepare a place for us, he's going to come back and receive us unto himself in John 14.3. We forget that this body, this, this tabernacle, this temporary tent will eventually be shared as we enter into eternity in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Just on a side note for that verse in 2 Corinthians, and I got to share this at my dad's farewell. I like camping. Well, not, 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 not tent camping and sleeping bag tenting. Not like real camping. I like, I like camping, like going to our church camps and things like that. But when you go camping, when you're on camps, it's fun. It is fun. We enjoy being out there. We enjoy having fun. We enjoy camping out with everybody. But over time, you want to go home, right? You want to go back to your own bed. You want to eat your own food, cook your own food. Well, maybe not cook your own food, but, have, but you know what I mean. You look forward to going home. Yeah, even though as enjoyable as it is, think of the church camp as your life here. Think of the church camp as your life here. You enjoy the company of other people. You have fun. You talk about the things of God. But eventually, it comes to a point where you just want to go home. Now, think of your home as heaven. 
where everything's just that much better. Your bed is just that bit more comfortable. Your food is just that bit much more tasty. The water is just that much more colder. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, it's every, at home, everything, you have everything at camp that you have at home, but everything at home is so much better. And you look forward to getting home, don't you? I know I do. Not that I don't like you guys, but I do like being at home. This is how we are to view our lives. That our lives here and now, as, as wonderful as it may be, or as difficult as it may be, as hard as we go through, we are supposed to be looking for our heavenly home, where everything is just that much better, where we're comfortable as we're taken in by our loving Father. Um, I, I, my brother Eamon and his wife Emma, when his wife passed away, she asked him, she, she passed away of cancer, she's a great, great woman, but she asked her husband and said, what's heaven going to be like? And Eamon, I didn't ask him, to, Eamon, if you watch this, bro, I, I, I'm using your thing. Sorry, man. But he shared, he said, I, I don't know. And he goes, he goes, oh, he goes, the way he described it was, you know, I, I think there'll be colours that we've never seen. There'll be smells that we've never smelled. There'll be tastes that, that we've never tasted. And then he says, but best of all, Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. And that's the way he described heaven to her. And I thought, wow, that's what we're looking forward to. Or are we more concerned with the camp we're living in right now? See, we need to get our eyes off now. We, we have to be looking to our future hope. Thus, the necessity of you and I staying connected with God continually, having a clear vision of our ultimate destination, living in God's purposes because of where we are going. That we, This is not the end. This is not the be-all and end-all of everything here. Pastor John sent me a wonderful analogy. And he actually said at the beginning, I love this analogy, and I love this analogy too. And I want to share this analogy with you. And I, it should be, I think I, did I give it? Yeah, choice. I mean, that's great, thank you. But this is a wonderful analogy. It says, when God wanted to create fish, he spoke to the sea. When God wanted to create trees, he spoke to the earth. But when God wanted to create man, he turned to himself. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. If you take fish out of water, it will die. When you remove a tree from soil, it will also die. Likewise, when man is disconnected from God, he dies. God is our natural environment. We were created to live in his presence. We have to be connected to him because it is only in him that life exists. Let's stay connected to God. And then it ends, without, water without fish is still water, but fish without water has nothing to live in. The soil without the tree is still soil, but the tree without soil has nothing to live on. God without man is still God, but man without God has nothing to live for. See, this is the encouragement for you and I to persevere. The only way we can persevere is because you know there is something at the end that you're aiming for. The loving concern that Paul has shared with us this morning is there because it's the heart of God to you and I. And it is expressed by what is done, not just by what is thought, not just by what is talked, by something that is done. And that even with the blessing of things that we experience, beware. Beware. Don't allow your emotion, don't allow your zeal, don't allow your enthusiasm to take precedence over God's truth, over God's word and God's love. Why? Because what enables us to endure 
What enables us to persevere is because we have our eyes on things above, not on things on the earth. Because we just set our affections there. Because where our heart is, sorry, where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. Thus, we must make note of the bigger picture of God's working, of bringing you and I to himself, that we might enjoy him forever. If you just want to bow your heads and want to close in prayer, brothers and sisters, we're not having a Zoom fellowship time today, uh, mainly because we've got a whole bunch of people here. If you like, I can uh, maybe call some of you and, and you can look at people. I don't know. But, uh, but I, I do want to encourage you. I do want to encourage you to spend time reading this again, to spend time listening to the word and allow God to impress upon your heart and my heart what we truly value. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you for the example that is given to us through the Apostle Paul. And as he shares his heart with these Thessalonian believers, we too understand that it is your heart toward us as well. Thank you that you expressed your love in the giving of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you expressed your love in his raising from the dead and that through faith in him we could be made whole. Thank you. Even now in our own sanctification, we might have difficulty. I pray that you might help us to have a view of the bigger picture of your working in each of our lives. For your glory and for your glory alone. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for each of us as we live lives that are holy to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. May he strengthen your hearts so that you and I will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his saints. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much at home. We'll see you later.